0: Drama revival. which are dedicated to stories told in to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. And I am your host, Fred. That kicking theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Today we are continuing our focus on the alternatives to the BBC in UK, uh, we, we go to the UK from time to time, a lot of great stuff coming out from over there, um, obviously I love the BBC as much as anyone, um, their Agatha Christie plays, um, stuff dating back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and their uh, Lord of the Rings, but there's a lot more else going on in the um, the United Kingdom, uh, a huge wave of internet, um, independent internet audio drama is happening over there, uh, last week we played something from one of our favorites, the Wireless Theatre Company, uh, today we are playing something different by the aptly titled Promising Productions, they just seem to have a few productions out but um, i think they do an amazing job as you're going to hear in the human drama that we have today pluto um don't really need to preface it too much it is a again i said it's a human drama there's a sort of a mystic element here but uh within the context of reality i think you'll enjoy quite a lot uh this could easily have been a stage piece but i think they did a great job of using this in audio i think you'll really enjoy pluto the first half today second half will wrap up next week hope you enjoy pluto by promising productions
1: Promising Productions and Mokita Grip Productions present Pluto by Jonathan Bonfilio. we cannot know have not known they are a bridge across the darkness and when you do finally come to know something when you recognize everything about it from its smell to the way it looks in the rain to the sideways glance it will give you when you say something unexpected that's when the name starts to wither and to die and is replaced by something greater a feeling you'll only properly be able to make out when you've lost her finally because of course finally what i'm talking about is her about losing her, the morning after her mother came back, the morning after she returned. After the Titans, concluding their brief kiss and embrace, if that's what it was, chased each other down in the morning sunlight, battled it out under its sharp glare, and died once more under the thin heat you only find in the mountains, at altitudes such as these. Over there is John Bluotis, her father. Cass, her mother, you won't see for a while, but she's here... ...having arrived earlier in the day... ...slowly working her way up the mountainside in that old yellow school bus. An American reject, like so much, found here in Latin America. Which is where we find ourselves, by the way. On a mountainside in Chile. It's from here we watch the universe unfold... ...where the sky is the clearest. The old school bus irritated Cass by virtue of its slowness... ...even though it arrived ahead of schedule delivering her before he was ready. He wanted in these his last days to prepare himself for her arrival. It was the least life owed him, or so he thought. John Buwotis, you see, is dying. And what's more, it is a known fact, thanks largely to me, as I was the first to observe it in him. Cass, for her part, knows he's suffering in the twilight and thinks she owes him this, at least this. Perhaps there are other reasons too. Perhaps that is simply the first of many. It is eighteen long years since she was here. Eighteen years since she left him. Up there, way beyond us. That is where they sit, the stars, the universe. Whole worlds, strange and entire. Foreign worlds. Places we will not know, no matter how long we cling to breath and life. They are simply, finally, too far away, these bodies. And so, in our attempt to measure what we cannot know, we have named them. Pleiades, Phoebe, Europa, Abel, 1689, Ceres, Sedna, Io, Mercury, Jupiter, Pluto. They are the gods of the past, thrust forward into our line of sight, up there where we look. In this way, we've brought them back to life, made them greater than they ever were before. These are unfathomable things, things we cannot grasp until we do. Until, little by little, we claw back the darkness and start to inventory our backyard. And then we go farther, and then farther still, until new galaxies are found and galaxies beyond that. And then the new empty space we hunt down is the void that fills the spaces between us, which we hardly know is there. Only problem is, as we move along this trail, we come to lose awe in what was before, the supposedly immovable rocks that littered our pasts. As we move on, we realize we base our lives and beliefs on things that we could not, that could not bear the weight of us. And it's at this point that the planets and the people, the giants that were our dreams, are confirmed as specks. They confirm what we have always known but was hidden from view. That what we held close, what we believed in, is no longer. That frailty defines us. The landscape of our lives, our youth, has shifted, been removed and replaced in a way we didn't think possible, we were told wasn't possible. And there is nothing left to count on. No guarantees to carry along with you as you spend your days, no knowledge that will remain, nothing that is certain. Our heroes and our gods under scrutiny have become dwarves. As if that was something they could ever be, that we could ever allow. That's why we rail against a day's passing, struggle to get in another word or action, because tomorrow... Tomorrow, we may not know where we stand, not recognize ourselves when we stop to look. In the hollows, he tells of many things. But most often of how on that warm November night, years before, standing there. Space, filling the space where her eyes should have been, Mira looked up into the darkness and asked him what star it was she was looking at. It's not a star, love, he said he replied without even thinking. It's a planet.
2: How's the patient? Sick. I meant you.
3: I know what you meant. The lenses on these telescopes aren't clean. They should be clean. I pay you to keep them clean. A speck or a smudge could throw me completely off course. Might already have done. Doubt? Don't play games.
2: You don't pay him enough to blame him.
3: Sorry, you shouldn't have asked her. I didn't. You should try lying to someone who doesn't know you as well as I do. I'm guessing they haven't called? No. No great surprise. It's too late anyway. Where is she? I thought she'd want to witness the spectacle alongside us.
2: She doesn't agree with you she thinks you're wrong
1: as you said it could happen i mean if i hadn't probably kept you know and the things that were there in front of you in front of your eyes weren't really there at all exactly precisely well then it wouldn't be your fault if you could be wrong couldn't you i've been wrong before is that what you mean no it's just that it's a possibility everything is a possibility
3: no it isn't there are some things that aren't If you weren't standing there in front of me, I'd say you weren't a possibility.
2: His point exactly.
3: Exactly doesn't exist. Who invited you to the party anyway?
2: Genetically, you had something to do with it.
3: Forget Lao. There are plenty of other things that prove my point.
2: Such as?
3: Life on Mars.
2: Currently under dispute.
3: Only by idiots. The same ones that say Pluto isn't a planet.
2: Not that again.
3: (laughs) Always that. It's not just the thing itself. It's a symptom of the wider malaise. They fail to realize, those anoraks, is that by having called it a planet in the first place, it becomes a planet in our consciousness, which is where the truth is, whatever that means. Back to your exact. We, what you might call the public, see it as a planet, which means basically that it is one. A planet isn't just a thing, an object. It's bigger than that. And taking that away weakens everything. It means that later on, after anything we do, it will be open to debate and subject to change.
1: So we never move on? We can't improve on what went before?
3: Of course we can. I'm just saying we need to be more careful in the first place, before we define things. Putting things in boxes doesn't make them easier to understand. It makes it more likely we'll misunderstand, or at least misinterpret, and get future problems wrong. These things hold us truths, so or anything but... By declaring, to use a different example, the Palestinian question a question makes it one. There's no question there, it's obvious. Semantics are more than just that, they're important. Some guy once told me that almost every disagreement ever had revolved around people seeing different definitions in a word, however subtle.
2: Some guy, your father,
3: whatever he was,
2: whoever he was,
3: whatever he was. He was right, at least in that
2: Like definitions
1: of God?
3: No, God's different Whatever you're conceiving to be, you're wrong He's just not there, get over it
2: You're so cynical When did you become so cynical?
3: Your seeing isn't a possibility My surviving the year isn't a possibility
2: But unless these things are measured exactly Which we don't have the equipment for are never likely to have You can't actually know either Your perfectly clean lens. Fixing both these things has to be a possibility, however slight. I'm not saying I think I'm going to get better, but I am saying that there's a chance, isn't there? Maybe not one to hold out for, but a chance nonetheless. And the same goes for you.
3: Statistically, perhaps. Scientifically and in practice, what you might call real terms, no... And it's not the science, the specifics of us, that makes me certain. It's what comes from having watched the world turn. It's having seen the other evidence, the context. How did you know? Over and above my own daughter. How did you know?
1: I've spent almost every waking hour of the last four years with you. Even those I haven't, I've been engaged on one of your tasks. At night, when I sleep, I hear your voice and I see stars, literally... You could say, perhaps, that I'm tuned into your nuances.
3: That you're my shadow. That you've chosen to exist with open eyes. I mean that unfortunate phrase is a metaphor, of course.
2: I know, Dad. I know. But the implication of me not having spotted it first is that I don't exist with open eyes.
1: You do, of course you do. You're just too close to it, to him, to get the context he's referring to. Let me interrupt. He's your father, so you see him and not the things he comes into contact with and how they, the minutiae, change. The fact he's your father blocks you seeing the context around him. What do your
3: observations tell you will happen in the next 20 minutes or so?
2: Dad, enough already. Leave him alone.
1: I don't know. I know you're sure, though, that you think the damaged wing won't withstand the temperature, that they're doomed, that even the worms on board will die. They didn't last time.
3: They survived. They were found in the desert weeks later, still in their petri dishes, living and almost breathing. You didn't know that, did you? How is it that you didn't know that, hmm?
1: I'm not obsessed with a crash like you are.
3: Ah, and there we have it. This is more than the boy has spoken in a year.
2: Dad, why speak to him like that? Why speak to anybody like that? What's the point? Because you can? because it makes you feel good for christ's sake grow up
3: for christ's sake another unfortunate metaphor we should change those too or at least refuse to use them infect us without our even noticing i'm sorry lao i did mean it but you don't deserve it and obsessed by the way just so you know barely covers it it's an altogether greater thing than that
1: not at the time would it have helped him Mira, me I doubt it there was little I could do I suppose but stand back and watch the story unfold much as I continue to do now in the retelling I'm not a player you see never was I've always known that there were things out there much greater than me people especially people like John Buotis people who took chances put themselves far out there who said things and made other things happen took chances drove us forward as a species or at least tried to even those who are regarded as having failed in the final analysis what people around us now present choose to call footnotes to history as if we were at its end and they were the judges because that's the thing we're not there yet the final analysis and you or i won't know it we can't we can't see the future the end of things we can't know how things will play out so we know that light travels in a straight line for at least 13 billion years because we've observed it but we won't know that it will forever because we haven't been there. What is the future, the end of things? What does it mean to be certain? The failure of these risk-takers, visionaries to some, diviners, quacks to others, doesn't cheapen their attempts. Success or failure in these terms is inconsequential. It's a trick of the light. Because even those who fall by the wayside, the many we aren't allowed to remember, at the very least gave us another option we could discount, leave behind. It's just another scramble, this thing's science. A race to own. More trampling on tombstones, what we seem to do best. It's easy to forget. And in chasing ourselves and some scab of glory to accompany us (laughs) into the afterlife, the thing we forget most of all is ourselves. So, here we are for good measure, trampling a thing called us, hoping that this night that contains us will stand out and, if it does because of the brush of the hand or the words spoken close. We're happy to forget all other nights, pretend they never occurred, leave them as a temple to some other person, call not you or me, but he who once was. In our dreams, at least, a person with a different face. There is a limit to what we can experience. Just ask a child of war. This thing isn't science. It's history. And posterity just another term we should spit in the face of. In layman's terms, of course, people on the ground already knew that the shuttle had taken a hit. But nobody had any way of knowing how bad that hit was. They were gambling, so he said, on the fact that the shuttle would hold together on re-entry. Now, he said that it couldn't. It wouldn't. That sometimes metal just refuses to do something, even if it should. That those seven men and women were condemned to death. That they would die on the brink of return. Oh No, that's not what he said. I misremember. He said in the act of return. When I had told him that I thought he was sure I had lied, I thought it was what he wanted to hear and that he wasn't really sure at all. That it was the posture of a man who wanted it to be so. Who wanted to be right in the face of all other opinion one last time. It was a trick he'd made a lifetime of repeating. This conclusion he'd come to. I thought that it was a kind of signing off. That it was his final anti-establishment stand where's he going to get the recorder did you call her
2: no but he thinks i did
1: well, yes he does which means therefore that... she's
2: come of her own accord i know after 18 years
1: that's a long time Mira.
2: i know that too it's a little less than my age And sometimes I feel so much older than the romance novels tell me I should.
1: You don't really read those things, do you?
2: They don't do Mills and Boone in Braille.
1: (laughs) I think Braille's beautiful to look at. But you probably don't want to know that.
2: It's a nice irony. And you're wrong. I do. Those kinds of things are exactly what I want to hear in the absence of being able to see them for myself. Mira. Don't thou, no, not now. Not now.
1: And your mother never, I mean in all the times you've seen her since then, she never once said why she left? No. Did you ever ask?
2: Of course I asked, repeatedly. She just said they grow apart. Suddenly,
1: two years after you were born?
2: Why do you say it like that?
1: Well, it's normally the other way around, isn't it? Man leaves woman to bring up kid alone. It's rare for a woman to make the move. Especially with a kid and no major incident driving her.
2: Sometimes these things work in reverse.
1: Much less of.
3: Sometimes these things work in reverse. Ah! And you see things before they actually
4: happen. You shouldn't have called her. She didn't. I came of my own accord. I'm surprised that video recorder still works. Are you going to talk to me, John? Or just keep pretending I'm not here? It's a bit childish, isn't it? Like it's your game and she just don't want to play. Laura's a nice name. Where's it from?
1: My mum was Finnish.
4: I see. Dad?
1: Somewhere else. It's short for Lowry. The name. Although not that much shorter. She wasn't interested in me. Not that much was clear, but she didn't seem interested in anything, really. I remember that about her. Not even Buotis, to any great extent. It was as if she was lost in her own little world. But then that wasn't right, either. Her being there affected everything. Mira was a completely changed person in her company. At once, regressing to childhood, and the very next moment, bristling with intent. If there'd been a teddy bear to hand, I swear she would have grabbed it, hugged it close, and then used it as a foil. And Buotis but it simply refused to engage as if to do so would lead nowhere good he would turn out to be right as it happened right in this bit that had nothing to do with astronomy except perhaps it did stars planets, worlds their gravity holds them together keeps them compact, dense and far away from others as we like to like magnets they repel because they're the same thing I began to wonder whether Cast had ever been in love with him at all whether he was simply one of those people so far away from what she was that she had to have him, and then not.
4: It's a nice name.
3: You're always bloody early.
4: This time it wasn't my fault. The bus.
3: You're probably out there pushing it.
4: How long, Dad?
3: Four, maybe five minutes. Why are you here, Cast?
4: They don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. They're coming home, John. They'll be okay.
3: You didn't have to come here to tell me that. It's because I'm dying. Only because I'm dying. What a trite reason to have made the journey.
4: You're not dying yet. You know nothing will go wrong, John. You've done it to get me to come, that's all. By declaring it to the world, you announced you wanted me here. We both know it. You're mad, Not just singularly mad, but mad times a few. I came because I was invited, John. Not by Mira, by you. When you made those statements about the shuttle public.
3: Stark raving, space agency crazy.
4: And because you're dying, I thought I should come and listen. Personally.
3: Thanks. Knowing that makes me feel all warm inside.
4: What do you want, John? What do you want from me?
1: He wanted to answer. He could tell that he wanted to answer, that in that instant he was desperate to let it all out. Years of prepared sentences, statements concocted across evenings spent deliberately alone, later refined in the dark hours. He wanted to shout and scream and tell her that he missed her still every night and that he sent me away from him in the darkness because he knew I saw it in him. That she was the single thing he had loved in all his life, even over and above Mira, who in any case was bits of her that in the last years he'd started getting things wrong not because he was cutting corners, as someone suggested, but because there, in his ill-lit study, pacing the floor, piecing the universe together, her face and her smell would start to infect sections of the unknown world so he thought she was out there and couldn't bear to look. As he was studying this unknown, all he could see were shapes that added up to her face, and at the very same time he wanted to explain why it was that he hated her for what she was for what she'd allowed herself to become. You and me against the world. It was one of two phrases I would find scribbled in his notebooks, only he'd reversed the roles. You see, when it was drawn as a cartoon in John Glenn's space capsule, as originally it had been, they were the words of a woman saying it to Glenn when he discovered it in the moments before takeoff. She was his only company. A drawing with a speech bubble saying they could take on all comers and win. The other phrase even more prevalent than the first we might have had adventures I guessed early on that they belonged together the phrases and what they referred to moreover that he never dared put them where they could lie together witness each other always they were crossed out beyond legibility only readable if you turned the page and read the words in reverse the two of them against the world having adventures and he would have been happy even if they'd lost every battle at every turn but they wouldn't have done he knew this of them together and they could have changed minds, altered substances. They might have been alchemists. But when she left, he was forced to do this alone, which meant that most dismissed him as a crackpot, particularly these days. That aging man on a mountaintop in a country that wasn't his, that he could never belong to. But he didn't say any of this because in the moment that he was about to burst with it, he felt something beyond both himself and the rest of us. In fact, we all felt it. We didn't even have to get to the telescopes to see the results of what was happening. It was there, in the sky, in the descending orange flicker above us. The light, that even as we watched, was already dying out. Whether we thought that he was right or not was now an irrelevance. He had been, and they hadn't listened.
0: And that was Pluto by Promising Productions. We will talk to them next week as well as play the second half of the show. And uh, that it will be a precursor to some own uh, final rune plays coming up on the 24th of September. We'll be playing uh, The Most Dangerous Game, a remake of The Classic Tale uh, done by yours truly in collaboration with the Mad Horse Theatre Company, a uh, professional theatre production company here in Portland, Maine. I think you'll really enjoy that. We have two other old-time radio plays um, that we did coming up after that. And then uh, later in October, of course, will be our Halloween show. And before that, plenty of gory stories so i think you'll enjoy all of that and that wraps it up for today you can find out more of course by checking on the blog radio drama revival.com previous episodes podcast uh link to reviews the in-depth malleus series by chris duker my weekly column fred's fuse a few news announcements such as the fact that post meridian radio players are also doing a halloween show really excited about that leave a comment on what you thought of this week's episode you can also find us on itunes search radio drama revival Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhall. The copyright of individual shows remains to the original producers, but do please share this show as much and as far as widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates on-air radio at WMPG-FM. Greater Port remains community radio station and is podcast at radiodramarevival.com It's a labor of love. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.